Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. A couple of years ago, I built a house. It's the house we live in now. You know how everyone always tells you some nightmare story about building a home? Not me. I loved every minute of it. I was like a four-year-old boy at the construction site. And if you want to have the same wonderful experience as I did, I have a suggestion. Check out Ferguson. At Ferguson, your project is their priority. Whether you're building a new home or working on a remodel, the Ferguson team will be there to make sure everything runs smoothly from start to finish. Ferguson Associates are experts in bath, kitchen, and lighting products, and so much more. They can help with product selection, facilitating orders, and delivery coordination. They work with home builders and remodelers, designers and homeowners to make every project a success. Get started at ferguson.com slash build. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. On the morning of August 28, 2009, Mark Saylor set out from his home in Chula Vista, California, just south of San Diego. Saylor was 45 years old, a California Highway Patrol officer. Ordinarily, he drove a 2006 Lexus IS, but his car had a problem with his CD player. So that morning, he took it to the dealership and got a loaner, a brand new Lexus ES. Saylor finished his shift at the Highway Patrol and went back home, picked up his wife, daughter, and brother-in-law, Chris Lestrella, and they all set out for the daughter's soccer practice. They were heading up Highway 125, and just as they approached a town called Santee, Lestrella, who's sitting in the back seat, calls 911. What you're about to hear, I'm warning you, is harrowing. 911 emergency, what are you reporting? Yeah, we're in a, we're in a I'm, I'm sorry, your cell phone's cutting out. We're going north 125. Mm-hmm. And our accelerator is stuck. I'm sorry? Our accelerator is stuck. We're on 125. We're on brakes. Okay, northbound 125. Where are you passing? We are passing. Uh, we're passing. We're we're approaching an intersection. Okay. Uh, we're approaching an intersection. Hold on. Pray. Pray. Okay. Oh, shoot. Oh. Oh. Okay. Hello? The oh, oh, oh you hear is Lestrella's horrified response to the Lexus spinning out of control 
hitting another vehicle and plunging down a ravine. Everyone inside the car was killed. The sailor crash is a heartbreaking story. I hesitated before playing it. But in the end, I concluded that you have to hear it to make sense of what happened next. The tape went viral. It was played on the nightly news, written up in horrified news articles, to the point where a wave of fear swept the country. Toyota is slamming the brakes on its sails due to a sticky accelerator that could put drivers' lives in danger. so-called runaway Toyotas, cars taking off on their own up to 100 miles an hour. A woman died. She crashed her Camry into a tree and a pole. The car had sped up to more than 100 miles per hour. Hundreds of people came forward with horror stories about their Lexus accelerators getting stuck. And Toyotas, too, since Lexus is a brand of Toyota. There were congressional hearings, exposés, whistleblowers. NASA got involved. Toyota would conduct seven recalls between September 2009 and March 2010, totaling millions of vehicles. As many as 90 people were estimated to have died in Toyotas that mysteriously accelerated. Toyota ended up paying a $1.2 billion fine to the U.S. government. They spent another $1.1 billion to settle a class action lawsuit. And since then, they've settled something like 400 separate lawsuits. The world's largest automobile company was accused of a cover-up, of putting profits ahead of people, of having a culture of denial. Toyota's conduct was shameful. It showed a blatant disregard for systems and laws designed to look after the safety of consumers. That's Eric Holder in March 2014. He was the Attorney General of the United States at the time. It's a pretty remarkable day when the chief law enforcement officer of the land calls out one of the largest companies in the world. My name is Malcolm Gladwell. You're listening to Revisionist History, where every week we go back and examine something forgotten or misunderstood. This episode is devoted to the Toyota sudden acceleration scandal. Chances are you heard at least some part of that 911 tape before. Maybe you had a Toyota at the time and had a sudden pang of worry. What I want to do is go back to 2009 and convince you that something went very wrong in the way the controversy played out. Very wrong. Let's go back for a moment to the person we started with, Mark Saylor, California Highway Patrol officer. He's driving down the highway and he can't stop his car. The accelerator is stuck, his brother-in-law says. After the crash, another person comes forward to the police and says he had driven the same loner Lexus a few days before and had a similar incident. He'd accelerated to get past a truck And when he pushed the throttle towards the floor, that's what car guys call the accelerator pedal, the throttle stuck. What he realized is that someone had put one of those big, thick, all-weather rubber floor mats in the car on top of the floor mat that was already there. That second big, thick floor mat wasn't attached to those little hooks that hold floor mats down. It slid around, and so somehow the thick mat got wedged under the throttle. That, everyone decides, is what happened to Sailor. Maybe he tried to turn the car off, 
But the Lexus has one of those push-button ignitions. And what he may not have realized is that you have to hold that button down for three seconds if you're trying to stop the car while it's in motion. Maybe he tried to put the car in neutral. But it's not always obvious how to do that, particularly if you're panicking. They crash. The 911 call goes viral. And Toyota launches a massive recall of floor mats across its model line. Problem solved, right? Well, no. Here's the problem. Nobody who's ever studied the sudden acceleration crisis thinks that floor mats are any more than a small part of the story. It just doesn't make sense. So that's an all-weather mat. That's my producer, Jacob Smith, talking to Sean Kane. This is the killer floor mat, okay? This is the floor mat that brought Toyota to fame. Kane runs a consulting firm in Massachusetts called Safety Research and Strategies. Whenever a controversy around unintended acceleration surfaces, Sean Kane's name comes up. He's testified before Congress. He's worked closely with many of the lawsuits against Toyota, and he's not buying the floor mat theory. When the pedal was depressed fully to the floor, okay, the way this road here, the pedal extended down to the point where the bottom edge of it would catch here on this rubber piece, okay, and it would catch on the bottom edge and it wouldn't return. But Kane doesn't believe that floor mats tell the whole story. Floor mats don't reach up and grab pedals. So the way this would have to happen is you'd have to depress your accelerator pedal nearly to the floor, all the way to the floor, to wide open throttle. You'd have to mash that accelerator to the floor and have that catch. Wide open throttle is another term for flooring it. Kane is saying that for the floor mat to trap the accelerator, the driver has to floor it. But why on earth is a guy driving his family to soccer practice flooring it? Not to mention all the hundreds of other people who complained about Toyotas with stuck accelerators. Some of those complaints come from elderly ladies, your grandmother basically. Since when does your grandmother floor it when she's driving her Camry down the street? As for Mark Saylor, he was driving with what he thought was a stuck accelerator for a while. Why didn't he just reach down and yank the floor mat away from the pedal, right? I still have a hard time believing, giving the long distance in the travel of this car, that the floor mat was the culprit. Kane thinks that something else must have happened in that car. And by the way, the Toyota sudden acceleration crisis ended up involving hundreds of cases. And in the overwhelming number of those cases, the car didn't even have an oversized thick plastic floor mat. The cars had normal floor mats. Something else must have been happening. And a number of people believe that something has to do with software that there is and was something wrong with the software that governs the throttle in Toyotas. In today's cars now, we're looking at code line, you know, code that can, can be up to 100 million lines of code. The F-35 Joint Strike Fighter is running about 7 million lines of code. A luxury car today can run 100 million lines of code. You get a, what, a half a billion dollar aircraft? You got a $50,000 car. And the complexity level of the $50,000 car is exponentially greater. Do you think that that car is now going to be defect-free and software clear? Not likely. This is the argument that Kane has made in lawsuits against Toyota. The cars contain a bug in the lines of computer code that control how the car starts and stops, speeds up, and slows down. The LA Times also pursued this question resulting in one of the most prestigious investigative reporting awards in the country, the Loeb, for its work. If the L.A. Times and Sean Cain are right, then that's terrifying. Because what it means is that what happened to Mark Saylor could happen to you. I wanted to put this fear to a test. That what happened to Mark Saylor could easily happen to you or me. 
It's a terrible story after all. But how much should we be afraid that our cars might do the same thing? To test this out, my producer Jacob and I got ourselves a 2003 Camry, 225,000 miles on it, the best-selling Toyota. In fact, the best-selling car in America for 11 of the last 12 years. A lot of the unintended acceleration cases happened in Camrys. After getting the car, we called up Car and Driver, the premier automotive magazine in the United States. We wanted them to help us figure out what was behind this epidemic of unintended acceleration, to try and replicate one of those runaway car situations. So one chilly winter morning, Jacob and I met up with three guys from Car and Driver at Chrysler's Proving Grounds, just west of Detroit. It's a vast racetrack that Chrysler uses to do all of its testing. I'm guessing a thousand acres. Big guardhouse at the front. The whole time we were there, Chrysler had someone in a Jeep Cherokee keeping an eye on us, making sure we didn't take photos of any of the new cars they were testing. Oh, look, there's the Q7. Those are the uh, car driver guys right there. Our guides are Don Sherman. He's the technical director of Car and Driver. And Casey Colwell, young guy, works with Don. Eddie Altman also came. He's the editor of Car and Driver. Well, that's our camera. Hi. Don, Casey, Eddie. They're all car guys, which matters because one of the notable facts about sudden acceleration is how the car guys see things differently from the non-car guys. Incidentally, Jacob and I would also describe ourselves as car guys, although not quite at the level of the car and driver folks. Lift up on that wheel while I pull the latch. It was open a second True story. When I was 13, I rode away for promotional brochures on every car sold in the world, except for the Soviet Zill, which was really hard to get. I still have every one of those brochures. Anyway, back to the racetrack in Detroit. Silver Camry entering VDF, staying out of your way like we were before. Copy. The plan is to take the Camry up to some serious speeds. Keep the throttle wide open, as if the accelerator pedal is somehow stuck, and then see if we can stop the car. What happens if you have your foot full on the accelerator pedal, and then you also slam on the brakes at the same time? Because intuitively you'd think that's what must happen in sudden acceleration. Your car surges uncontrollably, you slam on the brakes. We want to figure out what that looks like. You're going to make it go wide open throttle. Then quickly you apply the brakes. Not to really a panic, but just stop at the best you can. So Jacob goes out first, with Casey behind the wheel. He accelerates. So bringing it back up, 61, 62, 63, 65, 67, 68, 69, 70. And we're going to put the throttle down. So the gas pedal is floored. And now Casey hits the brake with the gas pedal still down. Oh, and we locked up a little bit, but... But, I mean, that's... But the car stops. Oh, yeah. Car the car stops. But no loud noises. No smoke billowing out the back. Jacob asks Casey about the brakes. What kind of shape are they in? Is it a little cooked, or...? No, it's, it's not... I don't think the brakes are cooked. Okay. What do they smell like? We'll know in a second. Don't even smell bad. Okay. If you have functioning brakes, brakes win. Brakes first engine, the brakes win. Then it's my turn. I get in the Camry with Eddie Alterman. He's driving. We take the car down the straightaway. Can we go a little faster? Yeah, than let me get past the, uh, 
Okay, we're at 70. Yeah. Altman hits the brakes, firmly, smoothly, easily. We come to a halt. Throttles open. I mean, we've got a really old, not in terribly good shape, car filled with three people and a bunch of equipment, and it's still stopping. So what's the... What is the difference between braking with your foot completely off the accelerator and braking like this? What I mean is, how much longer does it take to stop a car with the throttle wide open? About 10 feet, if you want to quantify it. It can be a little bit more, but not so much that you'd notice. Back in 2009, Altman had car and driver do a version of this very same test basically did this with a variety of cars. And we found, actually, that with the throttle stuck open or going at 70 miles an hour, the Camry stopped uh, pretty close to the same distance as a Ford Taurus that had its throttle closed. A Camry with the accelerator stuck wide open stops basically as quickly as a Taurus braking normally. So it's not, not a big deal. Yeah. But, of course, we're not panicking. Yeah, we're uh, not under the impression that the car is possessed by demons. <laughs> yes. And uh, we're in a closed kind of situation, but you can see, I'll get it up to 70. Okay. Not a big deal. Yeah, it's the most undramatic. You want to try it? I would love to try okay. it. Okay, yeah. We were out on the testing ground for two hours. We tried every trick in the book. The car stopped. We loaded up the Camry with three adults and a ton of equipment. It stopped. We turned off the engine while the car was in motion. It stopped. Once we took the Camry up to 100 miles an hour. What are we at? 90? Getting there. It took forever, but it stopped. Afterwards, Don Sherman and I talked about the strangely normal experience of bringing a Camry to a full stop with the accelerator to the floor. The brakes are powerful. You've got four wheels working, and it's fairly easy for them. Think of the poor engine that has to convert gasoline to, to power and move all that. Uh, uh, braking is relatively easy to do it uh, much more powerfully. Yeah. That's what people don't acknowledge, that all the capability built into their car. When car and driver did their version of this experiment right after the sailor crash, they went so far as to do a full throttle braking test on a Rouge Stage 3 Mustang. If you aren't a car guy, I should explain. Rouge is an independent company that takes sports cars and basically puts them on steroids. The engine of the Stage 3 Rouge has 540 horsepower. That's two to three times more powerful than the typical car on the road. A monster. A Rouge would take a Camry and chop it into little tiny pieces. So car and driver take the Rouge Mustang up to 100 miles an hour, keep their foot on the accelerator. At the same time, they slam on the brakes. And what happens? The car stops. Now, it takes a good 900 feet to come to a full stop. There's all kinds of huffing and puffing, but it stops. Brakes go up against one of the most powerful engines on the road, and the brakes win. 
I think you can now understand how crucial this point is. Toyota gets embroiled in a massive controversy. They pay billions of dollars in fines. They face allegations of a cover-up, all because their cars are supposed to be suddenly and mysteriously accelerating. But if your car is suddenly and mysteriously accelerating, all you have to do is step on the brakes, because brakes beat engines. So why couldn't Mark Saylor stop his Lexus that day as he sped down Highway 125? I know it sounds ridiculous and tragic, but it's the only logical explanation. Because he never put his foot on the brake. Maybe the most important person in this whole story is a man named Dick Schmidt. Sadly, Schmidt died last fall, which is a real loss because Schmidt was a really remarkable man. As a kid, he was a champion gymnast, later a champion sailor, a sub-three-hour marathoner. He owned five Porsches. He raced cars, a car guy. He was also a professor at UCLA who becomes an important figure in what's called human performance research. Human performance research asks, how do people move and act and interact with the physical world? Schmidt starts the Journal of Motor Behavior, and along the way, he becomes maybe the world's leading expert on the way your feet behave when you drive a car. I talked to Schmidt about a year before he died. He was in a wheelchair by that point. He had a neurological disease, and you'll hear a little bit of his illness in his speech. I'm going to have to repeat what he says because it's really important and I want to make sure you understand it. Schmidt got involved in the sudden acceleration issue years ago when he got a call from an attorney in Washington, D.C. It was a case involving a taxi driver who picked up some people outside a hotel. Next thing he knows, he's running full throttle down the parkway. What Schmidt's saying is, Next thing you know, he's running full throttle down the street. And he makes a left turn and realizes, oh God, I'm coming to a big traffic circle. And he ends up putting the car into a wall. He puts the car into a wall. That was 1994, years before the Toyota scandal. But it's exactly the same scenario. A car takes off mysteriously. The driver can't stop it. Was there ever a moment when you suspected there might be a mechanical cause to these incidents? No. What I'm asking is, if Schmidt ever suspected that the problem might be with the car, a malfunction, a faulty bit of software, an engineering failure, and Schmidt, one of the world's leading experts in human factors, is saying that never once crossed his mind. Why? Because everything about sudden acceleration looked like a problem with the driver, not the car. He starts to look at other cases and discovers that there are some pretty clear patterns. But those patterns don't involve a particular make or model of car. Nothing that could make you say, oh, there's something wrong with that kind of car. Every car maker gets hit with complaints of sudden acceleration. When there's a high-profile case like the Sailor Crash, people get focused on one brand, like Toyota, but that's just the effect of publicity. It happens to everyone. The patterns involve the kinds of people who have sudden acceleration incidents and the kinds of circumstances that lead to sudden acceleration incidents. The drivers tend to be older. They tend to be shorter. They tend to be people, and this is really important, they tend to be people who are driving an unfamiliar car. 
So, for instance, parking lot attendants. And the vast majority of these incidents happen right after someone gets into a car for the first time, or when they're parking or driving at very low speeds. Now, you have to make sense of these patterns. You could argue—I mean, against all reason—but you could argue that cars just get really upset and misbehave when they're being driven by parking lot attendants. But that's ridiculous. The patterns Schmidt found mean it's not the car. What Schmidt concludes is that people are getting into strange cars, and maybe because those people are too short and didn't adjust the seat properly, they were a little further away from the pedal than usual. Or maybe they're trying to park, and because they're doing the stopping and starting of getting in and out of a parking space, they get thrown just a little out of their comfort zone. They start making stabbing motions with their right foot, like someone groping in the dark. The term Dick Schmidt uses to describe this is impulse variability. Your brain requests a very specific action, but your body fails to deliver exactly what it's told to do. You mean to say that? Even when producing a very familiar physical movement, yeah, there is variability in how I move my limbs and the force with which I use、Absolutely. my limbs. So, a baseball player swinging a bat at a fastball may feel like he's reproducing his swing every time, but he's not.、Uh, That's why even the greatest golfers in the world sometimes hit the ball in the rough, or the best basketball players in the world miss a free throw. I don't think the driver's confused. If you ask him, which is the brake pedal, which is the accelerator pedal, he knows.、Mm-hmm. But he just gets. Schmidt says, "I don't think the driver's confused." If you ask him which is the brake pedal and which is the accelerator pedal, he knows. But he gets in this state where he feels like he's acting normally, and he's not. In other words, somewhere between intention and action, there's a garble, a glitch. And what happens? The driver puts his foot on the accelerator, thinking it's the brake. He wants to stop the car, but in fact, he's speeding it up. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school, and right from the start, they turned to Chase for business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. Member FDIC. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury, with a reveal unlike any other, as Infinity presents. A new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 
2025 QX80 coming this summer. I'm assuming you've heard about Versailles, arguably the most blatant symbol of luxury ever created. Over 720,000 square feet, 700 gilded rooms, where Marie Antoinette said about the peasants, let them eat cake. And we all know what happened to Marie Antoinette. The guillotine. My advice to Marie Antoinette would have been, Marie, you need to pursue slightly less ostentatious displays of wealth. We all deserve luxury, but you don't need 700 gilded rooms. I would have gotten Marie a nice studio somewhere in central Paris and outfitted her with one of Sattva's extraordinarily luxurious mattresses, where she could have slept like a queen without spending like a queen, and where she could have gotten a great night's sleep, even with the mob chanting for her head in the streets. Sattva proves that true luxury doesn't have to cost a fortune, as they sell for a fraction of the price of retail. So you see, getting a new mattress, unlike owning Versailles, is nothing to lose your head over. Right now, save $200 on $1,000 or more at Safa.com slash Gladwell. That's S-A-A-T-V-A dot com slash Gladwell. So, back to floor mats. Why do they sometimes get implicated in sudden acceleration? Because they throw off the expected geometry of the car. A big, thick winter mat stacked on top of an existing mat raises the floor of the footwell, makes the accelerator and brake seem much closer to your right foot. And if you're in a strange car, that just increases the odds of impulse variability. It's one of those little things that leads to a garble between intention and action. Once you understand Dick Schmidt, you realize there are all kinds of scenarios that could explain what happened to Mark Saylor. Let me give you one. He's driving down the highway with the cruise control on. Both of his feet are on the floor mat. He comes up behind a car going slower than he is, so he puts his right foot back on the accelerator, hard. But as he does that, the floor mat slides under the throttle, locking it open. Now comes the crucial part. He takes his foot off the accelerator to return to his cruise control speed, but the car doesn't slow down. It surges forward. The throttle is locked open by the floor mat. He's alarmed. He picks his foot up to hit the brake, but it's a car he's not familiar with. It's a loner, and he puts his foot on the accelerator instead of the brake, and he presses it down, expecting the car to slow, but it doesn't. That's why Listrella says the brakes don't work. And Sailor freaks out. So he presses down harder, and the car goes even faster, and he freaks out even more. I think it's important to note here that Sailor isn't negligent. He's not at fault. He's not speeding or running a red light or drunk. He's making a mistake that almost any of us could make under the circumstances. What happened to him in that moment is confusion. So they're going into a kind of panic state where instead of asking the question, is my foot on the right pedal, they think the problem is they're not pushing the brake hard enough. Yeah. So they have a perception that the brakes have failed, his pedal goes to the floor, mm-hmm. and the car doesn't stop. Schmidt says the perception is that the brakes have failed because the pedal goes to the floor and the car doesn't stop. 
Dick Schmidt isn't proposing some kind of far-fetched theory here. In February 2011, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration released its report on the whole Toyota business. That's the one NASA got involved in. And they basically agreed with Schmidt. They concluded that the overwhelming number of sudden acceleration cases were clearly pedal error. The agency knows this because every car has a black box that records when the brake and when the accelerator are used. Time and again in these cases, the black boxes showed that the brakes hadn't even been touched. So here's my question. Why is it so hard for people to accept the fact that there is a really simple, straightforward explanation for what happened in the sudden acceleration cases? Because it was hard. Right after the Sailor case, the Secretary of Transportation, Ray LaHood, went before Congress and said, My advice is, if anybody owns one of these vehicles, stop driving it, take it to the Toyota dealer, because they believe they have the fix for it. Do you realize how insane that is? This is the guy in charge of American auto safety, and he is completely deluded about the cause of the problem. He wants to blame the car. Some reporters do exactly the same thing. They have said there's absolutely no electronic problem in these cars, again and again. What we've established with with this type of... In February of 2010, Brian Ross at ABC News does a story on a runaway Avalon. It's about how the software in Toyotas causes them to accelerate uncontrollably. But of course, all you have to do if a Toyota accelerates uncontrollably is use the brakes. So ABC rigs up an Avalon and essentially stages an episode of unintended acceleration. The brakes don't work. Brakes get out. Gee. The fakery was later uncovered by the website Jalopnik. Here's the editor of Jalopnik, Patrick George. They got a university professor to cut three wires within the electronic throttle control system, then connected two of the wires to each other in a specific pattern and with a specific resistor to create a link between two final wires with a switch in between so that he could control it. In other words, he, he, this, this car was rigged. It was rigged in a way that you would, would never produce these results in real life. At the same time, they fake a video. Or if you ask ABC, they make an editing error that makes it look like the car's engine is revving dramatically. In fact, the car's in park. In the video, you can actually see that the brake light is on the whole time. They go to all of this trouble of splicing wires and revving engines, all that because they're trying to avoid the simplest and most plausible explanation, which is people are hitting the wrong pedal. Crazy. It gets worse. At the height of the Toyota controversy, Consumer Reports releases a video telling drivers what to do in the case of unintended acceleration. So this is one of the most trusted and reputable brands in the United States. Millions of people look to Consumer Reports for objective advice. Here's what their head of automotive testing, Jake Fisher, has to say. A car accelerating out of control is a very serious and scary situation for anyone. A gas pedal could get stuck because of a malfunction, because of a broken throttle return spring, or even a jammed floor mat. Fortunately, if you remain calm and follow a few steps, you can easily avoid tragedy. Wait, stop right there. He lists a series of reasons why a car might accelerate out of control, and he neglects to mention the number one cause, which is that a driver has his foot on the wrong pedal. Okay, on to the next problem. 
Here at our track, we're going to demonstrate to you what you should do, and more importantly, what you shouldn't do if you're ever in this unfortunate situation. If you find that your car is accelerating hard, even after you've taken your foot off the gas pedal, your first instinct is probably the right one. Step one, put your foot on the brake firmly and don't lift off. It's extremely important not to lift your foot off the brake. Wait, wait, wait. This is even crazier than an ABC reporter faking a killer Toyota Avalon. Fisher says it's extremely important not to lift your foot off the brake. No, no, no. The whole problem of unintended acceleration is caused by the fact that people mistakenly think they have their foot firmly on the brake when they don't. He needs to say the exact opposite. He needs to say it is extremely important to lift your foot off whatever pedal it is on because chances are you are mistakenly pressing the accelerator. Now place it back on the brake firmly. This isn't advice. This is malpractice. In the spring of 2010, the people who run the auto website Edmunds.com got really frustrated with how nutty the discussion of sudden acceleration had become. So they announced a contest. If anyone could prove that the car was the culprit in sudden acceleration, that is, an explanation different from someone hitting the wrong pedal or a floor mat trapping a throttle, Edmunds would pay them a million dollars. A million dollars. They put together a panel of experts engineering professors, car industry veterans. And who came forward to win? I asked Dan Edmonds, who heads up the site's vehicle testing. He says they got a grand total of 19 submissions, of which only five even met the eligibility requirements of the contest. And of those five, one talks about pedal error, one talks about floor mats again, and the rest, he says, are just nonsense. So they can't award the prize. The million dollars is still sitting there. While you had this contest, there are numerous lawsuits filed against Toyota, alleging, among other things, flaws in the software controlling the electronic throttle. You didn't hear from any of those plaintiff lawyers? No, we didn't hear from any, anybody of that sort. I think because of the nature of litigation, I mean, this is me speculating, they probably wanted to focus on that Uh Maybe a million dollars wasn't enough to attract their attention. Remember Sean Kane, Mr. Sudden Acceleration, the guy with the software coding gone awry theory? Not even he wants the million dollars. It was nothing more than, than a, you know, a media circus, and, and it, was, it was ridiculous. A media circus? Kane doesn't want to try and win a million dollars because it's a media circus? I'll tell you what a media circus was. The entire Toyota sudden acceleration scandal, because people like Sean Kane insisted that some elaborate electronic cover-up stood behind it. Because people like Sean Kane couldn't admit that this was just overwhelmingly a matter of human error. I've used the phrase car guys in this episode a few times. Dick Schmidt was a car guy. The three people from Car and Driver are car guys. And what's interesting about the car guys is that none of them doubted ever that this is a problem caused by drivers. Because they understand what a car is. It's a complicated mechanical object that requires attention and skill to be operated safely. And non-car people have lost sight of that fact. Here is Eddie Altman of Car and Driver. 
one more time. I think there is that really, really depressing sense of exasperation about how customers expect the car to take care of them and how the average driver just expects the car to be completely flawless and to save their lives under any circumstances. What the car guys want the rest of us to acknowledge is that driving is a complicated and dangerous act. It is not just the negligent or the reckless who make fatal mistakes. Ordinary people do, under seemingly ordinary circumstances. Mark Saylor did nothing wrong. Nothing. What happened to him could have happened to any of us, and will happen again, unless we can finally have an honest conversation about what a car is and what it isn't, and what the responsibility of a driver is when things go awry. Cars do not have minds of their own. A car just does what the driver tells it to do. All right, so here we are. We're in our, what is this, what, is this 2003 Camry? Is it 2003 or 2004? 22,000 miles on it. Okay, I'm up to 55 miles an hour. Get ready. That was, I was completely surprised by that. That was the most un... Unremarkable thing. Unremarkable thing. Okay, let's try it again. 60, I'll hold it at 60. You've been listening to Revisionist History. If you liked what you've heard, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. You can get more information about this and other episodes at revisionisthistory.com or on your favorite podcast app. Our show is produced by Mia Lobel, Roxanne Scott, and Jacob Smith. Our editor is Julia Barton. Music is composed by Luis Guerra and Taka Yasuzawa. Flan Williams is our engineer. Our fact checker is Michelle Soraka. Special thanks to Eddie Altman, Don Sherman, and Casey Caldwell, a car and driver, for helping us to find and buy a 2003 Camry and taking a day off to host us. Also thanks to audio producer Zach Rosen for braving the brake tests. The Panoply management team is Laura Mayer, Andy Bowers, and Jacob Weisberg. I'm Malcolm Gladwell. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Did you catch season three of This Is Digital? Season three of This Is Digital goes behind the scenes to reveal how digital trends show up in everyday decisions and actions, including digital lessons from the EV revolution and the chief digital officer's role in disruption and culture, featuring guests like Ekta Chopra of Elf Beauty and Tyson Jomini of J.D. Power. Do you have a digital mindset? Find out by checking out the latest and greatest on season three of This Is Digital and learn more at westmonroe.com. 
Discover a career that matters at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Be part of an innovative team delivering world-class health care and benefits to America's veterans. Enjoy robust benefits, work-life balance, and career development opportunities. Join a diverse and inclusive community that values your unique background and skills, a community where nearly one in three of your colleagues are veterans themselves. Apply now at vacareers.va.gov.